Paul. So how's it going? Yeah, all right, thank you. Uh, we're recording the on the Monday night after the Sunday before. Um, isn't it a shame that Man United can't win league football matches? I don't remember what it was like to win a league football match. What was the last game we won in the league? Well... No way at Swansea. You mean at home? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, that's right. Yeah, yeah. at home, not since September. <laughs> Southampton, yeah. right? That's the last time. <laughs> I was so excited that day. It was so, I was so optimistic about this season after that game. Yeah, I was looking up some of the data after the West Ham game because th- it feels like there's a kind of narrative forming that somehow United are unlucky here. You know, Mourinho's saying it. We, we create lots of chance. I didn't say anything yesterday, of course, because he was having a strop. But um, we'll get to that. Uh, but he said things like, you know, we're unlucky with creating chances. And all of that is true. Um, unfortunately, uh, United are seventh in the rankings. And this is a super nerdy stat for ratio of shots on target to goals scored. Right. So basically, they're just not scoring uh, from the shots taken um, and even worse in some other shooting statistics, 19th in one of them I looked at. And, and basically, it's, it's the truth, isn't it? You know, we're not very effective up front, not very clinical. A lot of that is to do with Zlatan. His, his shots on target is at 35%, well below the uh, top scorers in the league at the moment. Uh, but the other players as well. And just felt like Arsenal was slightly different, but it felt a very similar game to Stoke and Burnley, didn't it? 70% possession, loads of chances created, just too wasteful. Yeah, I think the game it resembled most probably was Stoke, although I would say that our chances against Stoke, maybe on balance, were better as a, as a collection of chances. There were more guilt-edged chances spurned in that game. Um, this sort of felt like a sort of hybrid of that game and the Arsenal game. A lot more chances created than there, there were against Arsenal. I mean, I think there's two things being, I'm going to use the word conflated, which is one of those words people make fun of me for using all the time. But I do think there's there's two ideas being smushed together. Um, <laughs> in the... uh, very good. No, no, we've got, you know, where do they? Conflated, okay. narrative, nuance. Fine, good. Modicum. Narrative. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, there's two ideas here. And one of them is that... Uh, United are unlucky in some ways they're creating loads of chances and I don't think you have to fully buy into that and accept it to not also buy into the notion that United are substantially improved under Jose Mourinho and that that what is being built is uh, in terms of what the manager's done so far is sort of is very nearly working. And and, and the other thing that, that but really kind of bugs me about all this discussion is we played West Ham uh, and drew nil-nil with them last season, at a very similar stage in the season. And it was one of the relatively more entertaining nil-nils under Louis van Gaal. But still, for entertainment value, the team this season is in a completely different league. Like, it's just a vastly more enjoyable experience to watch Man United play. Albeit now, I mean, it's got really frustrating. And of course, we can't argue with the fact that Champions League qualification, let alone a title push, looks a a real long shot at this point. Well, it does. Eight points behind Arsenal at the moment. So, um, look, isn't there some irony in this, though? Because Mourinho being the ultimate pragmatist, would he really want us defending him on the basis of, oh, but it's entertaining? <laughs> you know, he's, he's a man that's all about results. And and so if you judge it just by the results, the output isn't good enough. 11 points behind the Chelsea at the top of the table. 11 points. And this was a, a Chelsea team that absolutely fell apart last season under Mourinho. So um, 
I, th- I think in terms of, you know, what he was brought in to do, which is about results, it wasn't honestly about style. It certainly wasn't about a, a PR appointment because he wouldn't have got the job, would he? Um, as we're now finding out in some circumstances, this was about results. This was about turning around the club. And, and at the moment, you kind of give him a, a B minus or a C or something like that, don't you, on the report card? It's very early, though. It's four months into the job. This is not me saying uh, it's all doom and gloom and disaster. The team sort of anecdotally feels like it's improving. In terms of results, it's not. Um, and, and I guess, you know, we can hang our hope on the fact that United are playing a style of football which is much more entertaining than uh, Louis van Gaal's uh, and creating many, many, many more chances. I mean, you know, van Gaal wouldn't, would have gone a month before he'd had 23 shots or whatever United had against um, West Ham, you know, we're getting those kind of numbers every game now. So some hope, but the results, frankly, just not good enough. No, th- that's true. I guess, all right, you, you can say, well, Mourinho's brought in to be the ultimate pragmatist and get results and none of that is wrong. The 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 bit about the enjoyment, though, comes from the fact that last season, there's no doubt we said this on this show, I saw it place after place, time after time, United fans saying it's not so much the results, it's about the style of football. That's what's so frustrating. And I think people were fundamentally lying to themselves in large numbers because turns out, even if the style improves dramatically, because much more exciting and entertaining to watch, people still do absolutely nothing but moan about the results in large droves. Football fans wanting to have their cake and eat it. Yeah. You know, tell me something that's different from the last 125 years. Yeah. Like, of course. Um, but. But, I, you know, I was just watching a documentary, mini documentary from 442 Magazine today on, on Ferguson. It's good, that, isn't it? Yeah, it was good. Not that much new stuff in it, though, no, considering not really. it's called, like, untold stories yes, or something. Not really too many untold stories. A few anecdotes from players and stuff like that. But, point being, for many years we did have our cake, and we ate it, and we ate lots of it uh, under Ferguson, and that's what we all want back. But then we did have years as well of just... I'm trying to work out if we had the eating or the no cake. There was a long time under Ferguson at the end where it was successful without being thrilling, wasn't it? True. And and in fact, you know, if you look back to the last time that United were this far behind uh, the Premier League um, leaders at this stage of the season was 2004, when 2003-04, when Chelsea ran away with the title. Um, and that was the start of a fallow period for United. Um, of which United came out to win loads of cups and trophies in the European Cup and all of that afterwards, right? Probably that's what we used to call it's what we used to call a fallow period when we didn't win the league in two thousand and three and four or four and five, but we did win it the year after that. So it wasn't <laughs> that's really right. That yeah, and unfortunately, we've just had three seasons of of failure now, and it looks like honestly we're getting the same thing again. You know, eight, eight points behind the Champions League places, and it's not as if you can guarantee that United are suddenly going to make some kind of surge. It's looking like the Europa League. Um, I meant, you know, I was joking at the beginning, saying we didn't really want to be in it, although, you know, maybe we don't. But it's looking like it's the best route into the Champions League next season. Yeah, I mean, I still I still think if you looked at the maths, I don't know, you crunch the numbers, I wonder whether uh, we, we are statistically more likely to get fourth place than we are to win the Europa League from here on out. But that's broadly irrelevant. Um, I, I'm not sure how you do that kind of model on the Europa League. But, no, uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah the, I mean, the, the models right now... So the Infrastrata model and a few others will not be showing United as as uh, likely to qualify for fourth place. No. The funny thing is, though, you know, if you look at the XG, you know, United loves XG. Yeah. 
uh, we're missing some really high XG chances <laughs> as well. Um, so, you know, it, it there, there's enough little morsels of evidence to say these goals should be going in. Yeah. United should be scoring many, many more goals. And unfortunately, I don't think you can put it down to miracle goalkeeping. Randolph made a couple of decent saves yesterday, but none you'd say that he he didn't have the right to make. The Mkhitaryan save, the the really close range one which Lingard tapped in, uh, looked like a very good save. And the save from Lingard right at the end of the uh, first half, was that was a really, really, really good save, I thought. Um, But no, I, I don't think in any of these games, Tom Heaton made... Two out of his whatever 400 saves were really exceptional. Um, but generally speaking, you know, United have, have, have hit a lot of saveable shots at goal. But, but, and, and I think Mourinho's made mistakes. I think he made mistakes against West Ham. I think that, that I wrote this today. There might be a solid sports science argument that says Mkhitaryan played 80 minutes on Thursday night after an extended fallow period of not playing games. Um, and so it'd be a big physical risk to start him in this game. But the flip side of that is Mourinho said after a performance like that, he can expect to play. Um, it's reasonable for him to expect to play or something like that. Now, you could then twist that and say, well, he did have half an hour in the West Ham game, so maybe that's what he was talking about. But I think not starting him with that, with that momentum was questionable. I definitely think not taking Rashford off at half-time, 50 minutes, very much earlier, very kind of Mourinho-esque substitution to take off uh, Rashford and bring on Mkhitaryan at that point. I think that was... That was questionable. And and I know this is a, a, a boring, old, hoary old subject, but taking Juan Mata off when you desperately need a goal, when he scored two in two, I mean, I know he's played a lot of football and obviously there is something about his physicality which means that he is that managers are advised not to play him all the way through games. But in that circumstance, it did seem a little ridiculous. Oh, it was bonkers. Come on, let's be honest. It was bonkers. I mean, there is no player in the Premier League over the last four years who has more combined goals and assists, no midfielder. Mm. You know, he's the man who's going to create your goals. I'm sorry, he and he's been probably been United's best performer this season, and um, it kind of just smacks of it smacks of the kind of conservative uh, conservatism we expect of Mourinho. Now, it's not like United have been playing in a conservative way, but I don't think they were bold substitutions. It's like for like, um, and possibly not even a better like for like, but like for like, um, United didn't really do anything to change the nature of the game. And just taking matter off, I, I've got to say, I just think it was nuts. Um, I don't think he makes loads of dumb decisions. Mourinho and all managers make decisions that frustrate fans. You know, why Why is he doing that? Can't get my head around it. Moyes and Van Gaal made way more of those than Mourinho, I think. But, you know, there's been a few games this season where we thought, hmm, not quite sure about that substitution. Yeah, and then there's been a few times when the substitutions have seemed good and they definitely seem better than... The last two managers' <laughs> substitutions, which were agonising on many occasions. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so, I mean, I, I think I, all I'm saying is I, I don't, I think, you know, Rashford's obviously really struggling for form and it's very difficult to know exactly what the right thing to do is. I think I, this is what I feel. I felt like after that game yesterday, it's not like I could have gone, yes, he should have done this, this, this or this, which under Van Gaal and Moyes was so evident that it was staring them in the face. It doesn't feel like Mourinho's making as you say, loads of dumb decisions. It, uh, it's not all about luck, but on the flip side, it, when you, 
you'd much rather be a team creating tons of chances and not taking them. That is a much more sustainable, like you're eventually much more likely to start taking those chances than you are to play like we were playing last season and suddenly start creating a load more chances. Or you might stop creating the chances. Although, you know, United are loaded in attacking areas and it, it does feel like we're, we're set up with enough players to create lots of chances. There's no evidence, is there, that there's any likelihood that we're going to stop creating chances? No evidence that we'll start scoring them either. None. <laughs> just, just not doing it. But, but no, I mean, oh, OK, all right, so uh, the theoretical, hypothetical question for you, which would you rather the problem was that we are creating tons of chances and not finishing them or that the team's attack is really static and not creating a lot of chances? Well, the funny thing is the team's attack is quite static, but there's, there's a lot to do with Zlatan. Uh, no, clearly you'd rather they were creating chances and not taking them as long as you're prepared to make some changes. Right, because other the other the other strategy is hope, and uh, at least he's made the change basically to go for to a four three three now with Carrick. I mean, it makes the midfield so much better. The sacrifice sometimes is matter, um, in you know, in that he has to come off the right rather than starting from a central position. That does impact his his form. You know, the the other sacrifice is exactly how those wide players function. You know, it's not working for Rashford at the moment. He probably needs to be taken out of the firing line. Uh, I, it's not obvious who the option is there, given that Martial wasn't Martial wasn't even in the uh, the squad yesterday. You know, it's looking not not good for him. Memphis uh, not getting any minutes at all. Uh, you know, maybe Mkhitaryan gets a longer run in the side, but you know, no guarantees there, right? One game back, two games back. Uh, no guarantee. So, you know, got, got a few problems to fix there. Um, the, I think the the big hairy question is, is you know, is Latan really doing enough to uh, justify his place in the side? He's he's so static, except in on the occasions where he believes that the ball is going to be played or he, he, can, he finds the space, you know. And he, it was a beautiful run for his goal. Um, he made the goal. Pogba's pass was excellent, but you know it's his run that makes makes the goal excellent goal. But apart from that, he's like a post. You just stick him around the D, and and you know not much is happening a lot of the time. Num- he's created eleven chances, including one assist in his last two games, and scored off a pretty dynamic run. Yes, and he's got he's got three goals in fourteen. Yeah, sure, yeah. yeah. Which isn't great for someone who got forty nine goals last season. I mean, you know, his record eight eight in eight in eighteen this season. That's not horrible. It's not Zlatan esque, really. Um, and there's just something about his style of play. While you know, world class on the ball is not very dynamic off it. But he's created so he's created eleven chances in our last three games, and he's also got three goals in his last three games as well. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you're right. It's it's three and fourteen, but it's three and three as well. Um, so you know, I don't. I, and I didn't. I wasn't watching that game yesterday, thinking our attack looked static. Not not even a little bit, to be honest. Um, and and against Feyenoord, it was incredibly fluid. Even though it was a bunch of like, well, I mean, Mkhitaryan was a, a big part of why it was fluid. But actually, Rooney looking looking a lot more kind of I don't know his movements looking a lot less laboured uh, having had the extended break um, and it's probably worth talking about the fact that he's he really has hit a patch of, of decent form he wasn't particularly good against West Ham when he came on but he, he's, he was good in his, his three prior games and he was pretty excellent against Feyenoord but yeah no I mean I, I don't know I, I think I don't look at that team and think yeah the problem here is Latan. in fact 
I don't know. I feel like it's a much better team because Latan's in it, or at least, at least there's this there's this kind of dramatic potential when Zlatan's there. And and you know that that goal was superb. <laughs> like it was just absolutely, absolutely. But what it does allow is is the opposition just to drop deep. You know. So I mean, I'm not saying drops Zlatan is all the answers. Right. What I am saying is it, it is causing limitations in United's forward play, undoubtedly, undoubtedly. And uh, the fact that he is not getting clear chances, quite a number of he, he has more shots per game on average than any other player in the league. Lots of them are from long range, you know, and, and lots of them are ones he might have scored in an earlier life when he was a bit sharper. That's the trade-off. Yeah, I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. I, I think that, first of all, like the notion that, that teams can just sort of sit back because he's very static, that's obviously true. But we are still creating a pretty decent number of very high-quality chances. And he he's, I mean, he's an instrumental part of that creation process, isn't he? He's, he's, he is creating a ton of chances for the people around him. And they're not like, not random long shots are they there's there's a lot of decent chances in that in that mix um so yeah no i mean i i i don't i i do not know i left that west ham game going i don't know what you do differently really apart from a few tweaks that may or may not have worked it may or may not have made any difference to keep matter on it's not like you could say that's definitively going to change the outcome of the game it may or may not have made a big difference to play Mkhitaryan early, but you could also easily see Mkhitaryan like with a weight of expectation and the sense of pressure and, oh God, now it's the Premier League, now I've really got to do it, you know, and he kind of doesn't play particularly well again, but, you know. Uh, but I thought Pogba was excellent, by the way. Uh, loads of people having him a massive go at him for that dive. I, I think it looked really ungainly, but I genuinely think he was jumping out of the way of somebody swinging their leg at him, I don't know. Mm. No, I don't buy that. That was a dive. Okay. A dive. He might have been expecting a tackle. It was still a dive. Um, And he should get the appropriate amount of criticism for that. But, you know, it's a yellow card event. There's other players done that before. It's naughty. I think everyone having a go at him for diving should be kicked by Mark Noble in the shins. That's what I think. See how they like it. They can wear shin pads if they want. I I suppose they could. Uh, So Jose got sent off uh, for absolutely leathering a bottle. First time I saw it, I was convinced that he'd just done an air shot. (laughs) Uh, But uh, he did actually connect uh, with a half-decent attempt on that bottle. Uh, I mean, it's it's the kind of thing we knew that Jose would do, right? And, And, you know, I have to say, he doesn't feel like he's really enjoying being Manchester United manager at the moment. It feels like he's just a little on edge and uh, a lot on edge and quite a bit tetchy as well. And, uh, and you know, we're getting him uh, storming after referees, kicking bottles, all of that kind of stuff. It's exactly the reason why uh, I guess Bobby Charlton didn't want him as manager in the first place. And the, that's what you get with Jose. So, you know, the Arsene Wenger story, right? <laughs> Arsene Menger was sent off for kicking a bottle on the sidelines and was then apologised to by the FA. Imagine how annoyed Mourinho's going to be when he finds out about that because he's going to get a full stadium ban or whatever, isn't he? Uh, he Probably he, a couple of matches. Yeah, he will get the full stadium ban now because it's his third defence. Yeah. Well, second selling off for the season, isn't it? Yes, but then he also got the warning about talking about the referee <laughs> Yeah, uh, prior to the Liverpool game. I... I... I don't know that I agree that it doesn't look like he's enjoying managing Man United. I think it looks like he's really annoyed that like there's a huge level of frustration about the fact that he's 
like he's got this team playing very decent football, carving out excellent chance after excellent chance, and none of them are hitting the back of the net, or like not very many of them are hitting the back of the net. I imagine that would frustrate any of us, wouldn't it? Yes, but do, is this just a man who's frustrated? I mean, his reaction to the Pogba yellow card was to, you know, massive sort of dramatic swing of the arm you know, loads of gesticulation and then running up and smashing a bottle. I think he thinks he's not getting the rub of the green from referees because he's Jose Mourinho. And I find it very, very hard to argue against that belief with any particular conviction. Are you saying United have been robbed this season? We've got four draws in a row at Old Trafford and it's because referees are out to get us. Uh, I don't think it's because referees are out to get us, but the Clattenburg display in whatever game that was, was yeah, real... Well, Real bad. Then there was the uh, what's it one uh, with the Valencia penalty and all that business. Then you know I, I have to say that Pogba thing, right? Maybe you you can just say it's a clear dive, and I can see why people would say that from looking at the replay in real time. It definitely like from from the stands, it really didn't look like it was a massively obvious dive. I could understand why he was he was really frustrated, and and that is Mourinho's personality. The sideshow comes along with him. That that isn't sure, yeah. new, is it? No, no, no. I mean, that's what you get with the package. Yeah, and yeah. No, I mean, I don't think anyone should have expected anything less. No. Um, although and I it's not as if Fergie was a saint. Two sendings off in 13. But Fergie would never have got sent off for that. If Fergie had done that, if Fergie had like gone mad at the ref, they'd never have sent him to the stands for that. Never. Like, it's... it's he. There's definitely a different... Like, Fergie got a lot of very lenient treatment. United as a club might have got some pretty harsh punishments, but him himself... Oh, a little side story. I saw him... In, in a little corridor. So there's like this corridor from the press lounge to the press box and um, there's an exit of the executive's bar area, the, the director's and special VIP type people's bar area. I guess that's where Julia Roberts was as well, but I didn't see her. Um, but Fergie, I turned the corner, going out to find my seat and Fergie's just in the corridor by the entrance to the executives on his phone and I literally froze in my tracks. Like a child. I was like, oh my God, it's Fergie, I love you. <laughs> Even though with all the complexity and stuff, it was still it was still super cool to be in like a little corridor with Alex Ferguson. I didn't say anything to him because he was on his phone and he looked a bit grumpy. And as um, someone joked with me, maybe he was grumpy because he'd found out Mkhitaryan wasn't starting. <laughs> I thought it was quite funny. Anyway, there you go. A little anecdote about seeing Fergie in a corridor. Uh, as you do. I mean, it's not often you get to... See Fergie in a corridor. I didn't embellish that over time. You know, makes it for a better <laughs> anecdote. I gave him a big hug and I was like, oh, it's not going well, is it, since you left? And he's like, ah, I knew it would go to pieces. I did it on purpose. None of that happened. Uh, Herrera was good again. Herrera was good, yeah. Uh, has been since he came into the side. Pogba was excellent, yeah. as you mentioned. Yeah. Defensively, United were fine. Yeah. You Apart know. from that early, oh gosh, as soon as Lingard gave away that free kick, I was like, don't, it's Dimitri, pa- oh, for, you know, it was, yeah. And, and in a way I was like glad we got back into that game because we've not done very well when we've gone behind in games. Um, I just, I just think that 
it's all a whisker away from us being us having had very very different discussions in the last few weeks. The very fine margins between you know United being having eight more points than they've got right now, just from games they should have won that didn't. And I'm I'm not saying that 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 means there's no problem because there's obviously a problem, but it isn't time for panic stations. I don't think. Or eleven points behind the league leaders. What does that even mean, though? Like, it's this is a discussion about performance levels, right? Not well, you know, you know how numbers work, right? Yeah, but I'm yeah, talking yeah. about yeah. There's eleven of them. That's how many points we are behind Chelsea. Eleven. Does it? Does that mean it's time to panic and change the way we're playing, or make dramatic changes to the side? Is that what? Is that no? I clearly, I'm not saying that. But but when you have four games in a row that look very similar at home um, with very similar patterns of play, possession, chances created and the way the opposition sets up, you might want to take some lessons from that, right? That, that's all. What so, lesson? Well, it sounds like your your strategy here is hope. What's yours? <laughs> hope is no kind of, Well, I mentioned a couple, you know. I think we should, we, we, I mean, you've got to stick with 4-3-3. Which he didn't. Um, he didn't against West way. Ham, it should be said. Yeah. I mean, it's the only way the balance of the side works well. You know, it's not a surprise. Carrick was out of the team um, and and United's performance or results aren't as good. I mean, there's another pattern there. Um, uh, he probably does need to freshen up on the left wing. He has to think about the Zlatan situation. It does. It, does, it's, it, is, it creates a certain style of attack. Um, and if we're pretty predictable predictable around the centre. They've got to make some changes elsewhere. There are no wingers in the team at all, so it's hard to play wide. Everything is coming central. You know, it's not it's not fundamental. It's it's not Moyes. It's, you know, it's not Van Gaal-esque. There are some things that have to change. Of course, right? United are 11 points behind the league leaders, eight off of the Champions League. Of course something has to change, you know? Otherwise, it's just... It, everyone's against us. We're terribly unlucky. Honestly, it's going to change. You know, football just on it just isn't like that over a period of time. That somehow United are massively unlucky. No, somehow what happens is United are very wasteful in front of goal uh, compared to their league position. You might say they're actually quite lucky to be where they are, um, and and the principal striker is even more wasteful in front of goal than that. That's the problem. Mm. Goals win you matches, so I've heard. So a game where we did play 4-3-3 with Ibrahimovic up front um, was a game we won very comfortably playing some pretty electrifying football. Final, not much cop, but uh, Henrik Mkhitaryan with a man of a match return felt like a debut all over again, didn't it? It did. Um no surprise that he was uh, he was dropped from the side the next game. Then I was really I was shocked. I was I, I was George. Everyone was telling me after that that game. Oh well, it's going to be a shame when he's dropped. And I was like, Mourinho's basically said he's going to play him. It's fine. He's definitely going to play him. No, he's not going to play him. Let's just put it down to sports science. You know, forty eight yeah. hours or two and a half days or whatever between the games, hardly played at all. You know, I, I'm sure if he'd played against if he'd started against West Ham. Come off with a hamstring, you know, old Rentagod Bray would be on Twitter going, I told you, periodization wasn't working, you know, not enough rest, blah, 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 you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So let's put it down to that. Uh, look, he was great. He was really exciting against Feyenoord. 
Um, Rooney was very good as well. Yeah, really, uh, really good. The team was very flexible. Yes. You know, you can really put, you know, especially for sort of first 20 minutes, half an hour, you can really put anyone in a particular position. Um, was it, it was, was, it was it really three, good. You said that 4 3 is the switch. I'll just look. Um, was it a four-three-three? Really? Who who was the three in the four-three-three? The middle three. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you count Carrick at the base and Pogba and Rooney pushing forward. Right. So we because I think Rooney was playing as a. I think in theory, it was four-two-three-one with Pogba and Carrick behind Rooney and Mkhitaryan and Mata. But really, it was four-one-four-one, wasn't it? With Pogba pushed up. That, right. That's kind of what it really looked like. Or maybe it's just having Carrick in the side just gives balance to defence. Yeah, attack. maybe so against teams that aren't that good, especially. Well. <laughs> sure, that's a really harsh way of putting it. You know, I hope yeah. history judges Michael Carrick uh, better than some fans do. You know, and it's it's the Vine generation where if you don't get anything exciting that could be clipped in six seconds uh, or whatever it is, uh, then you aren't any good. Michael Carrick has been a fantastic midfielder for United, fantastic. Uh, yeah. And we're going to find it very, very hard to replace him. We are finding it hard to replace him. He's 35, uh, but he's a great defender. He's a absolutely fantastic at recycling the ball, uh, bringing players into into new positions. He helps the whole team move, and he just knits the two things together. And it's unfortunate that there's no one else in the team that can do that. I mean, um, Schneiderlin definitely can't do it. Bastian can't do it. The closest player is Blint, but unfortunately he... You can easily outdo Blint in midfield by just overloading his area. He's, he doesn't have the same level of intelligence or, you know, he isn't even as quick as Michael Carrick. You know, he's he's really important, Carrick, and it shows when he's in the team. Yeah, um, it was incredibly enjoyable game of football to watch, I thought. Um, the 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 Mata goal was just lovely, the, the build-up to all that, the Rooney goal, the whole thing. And then Lingard came on at the end and scored. And there was the funny bit where Ibrahimovic scored a goal off Brad Jones. That was that was good as well. Just all round thoroughly enjoyable. And you mentioned kind of jokingly, well, that's an, a bit annoying because it means we're still in the Europa League. We've got to get a draw in Ukraine, which... I don't know about you, I'm not confident given United have lost a million games in a row on the road in, in Europe. True. Luhansk are rubbish, though. Zoya. Well, they are. They, they, they are. They got draws at home so far in this tournament. Obviously, we only need a draw, so that's good. But uh, And, and I, guess, I guess it'll play a very strong side in that game, obviously. But Yeah, you'd expect so, yeah. I mean, look, loads of good performances. Valencia, excellent. Uh, yes. Ibrahimovic, pretty good. Mata, excellent. Yeah, you know, Jones and Blint at the back didn't have to do much, did they? But very good. I think even Sergio Romero made a decent save in the first half, as I remember it. So it's, uh, yeah, very enjoyable, very good. Uh, it's United at home against not much in the Europa League, unfortunately. Playing uh, a very similar style, a very similar shape to the the style and shape they've played in the games which they've not been winning in the league as well and much more clinical in front of goal yeah very much very much um and it's um you know they're gonna have to find a way of of trying to draw out what happened against Fenerbahce 
and Feyenoord and bring it domestically. I mean, it's, it's going to be very... Leicester. Leicester! There you go. We beat Leicester 4-1 four, four in the league as well, scoring three goals, in 45, four, three goals in 45 minutes. That's the most recent game we won at Old Trafford. True. And that was very good. Leicester were yeah. terrible. They were. But that game terrible. followed almost exactly the same pattern as all these other games too. <laughs> um, so, I don't know. I'm, I'm not convinced. I'm just not convinced... That a dramatic change is the answer, even even though clearly something does need to change. I just don't know. I just don't know what it is. I gave you some ideas. You've rejected them. Uh, yeah. You believe it's down to hope and uh, it'll all change. You know what? <laughs> wow! Oh, my God, that's so insulting. That is so insulting, by the way. You believe it's down to hope and it'll all change. I, I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm just uh, I'm simply summarising your argument. Is it any different than that? It is. My my <laughs> my argument is that uh, the pattern of the past few games doesn't simply suggest that United are that United have a fundamental problem. It there is there is quite a distinct possibility that if you keep creating that many chances in games things will go your way more often than not. I don't think that is an unreasonable hope or expectation level of argument. So uh, we have, uh, I'm absolutely delighted to say, we've got an extremely special guest on the Rankcast this week. Um, I I could not have enjoyed uh, more the half an hour I spent talking with Mark Chapman, who, uh, well, better known as Chappers, uh, host of a slew of BBC sports programmes and on the television and the radio, and just an absolutely lovely guy. So, So here it is, me talking to Chappers. We are absolutely delighted to be joined by Mark Chapman, the host of Match of the Day 2, among many other things. Uh, <laughs> thanks for coming along, Mark. Yeah, yeah, jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs> um, you are, of course, a not particularly hidden in the closet Man United fan. Yeah. Um, wh- what's your history with the club? Um, well, I, the, reason, the reason I'm not hidden is because I've always been of the opinion that... Um, if you sort of work in sport and work in sport broadcasting, that uh, it wouldn't be slightly odd if you didn't have a passion for a team or a sport. And I'm, without naming names, people might be able to guess, you know. But um, people can get themselves in all sorts of trouble trying to hide who who they support, really. Um, so that's why I've always been open about it, in the same way that I'm open about the Lancashire Cricket Club being my cricket team and Sale being my rugby union team and Hull being my rugby league team. But um, my history is uh, my dad first took me to a United game uh, in 1981 uh, for my uh, eighth birthday in October um, when United beat Wolves 5-0. Sammy McElroy scored a hat-trick, but Brian Robson signed for the club that day on a little trestle table on the pitch with Ron Atkinson <laughs> and Martin Edwards on either side. So from that moment on, uh, Brian Robson was just my... Uh, I mean, bizarrely, looking back, actually, it should have been Sammy McElroy for the hat-trick, but Brian Robson was my hero from, from then on in, really. And we would go as often as we could, and we would... Um, I'd play football in the morning for school, and then if we felt... And this is how different it was. If we felt like it... Um, which we did more often than not. Then we'd just turn up, pay on the gate, and watch United in the afternoon, and 
and go home. And then in about 1989, 90, um, uh, we got season tickets uh, in a way that quite a lot of people then got season tickets. They were sort of passed on by people who weren't going anymore. Uh, and about six years after that, I think they had a season ticket amnesty and they were put in our name and we had two for a very long time. Then we went up to three for a while. And now just because of family life, we're, we're back down to, to two. Although bizarrely, the club sent us an email this year going, oh, you're now platinum season ticket holders. I, you've had them for so long. Do you want us to put your name on your seat? And it's like, my God, I can think of anything worse than having your <laughs> name. Like, a, that draws attention to you, and B, it kind of gets like like being dead when your name gets put on a seat or a bench. So uh, I politely decline. Um, so uh, without getting too specific, whereabouts in the ground are you? Uh, we're we're South Stand because because uh, we're not singers. So we're South Stand uh, level. Roughly with the uh, eighteen-yard line at the Stretford end. Okay, so that's sort of level with where Rooney hit that uh, volley against Newcastle all those years ago. That's sort yeah, of... yeah, yeah. Well, it, well, basically, it's it's every time United score at the Stretford end, they come they come to our corner because <laughs> because the, the families are all packed into that into that corner just to our left. So um, so yeah, we're there. Originally, I think the season tickets first. First time round, we're in the North Stand, and then when they started redeveloping that and putting corporate here, there, and everywhere, we we were moved, and we've we've been in South Stand ever since. So, um, what are sort of your standout memories of following United? Um, oh, I have. Well, they range from they range from the obvious to the the slightly the slightly bizarre. Really, I mean, I. As as regards games, one of the happiest, happiest games I ever went to was Oldham away on Boxing Day when United scored six. And I can just and, – and for the whole of the 90 minutes, it felt like we, we chanted the thank you very much for Dennis Irwin to the uh, – <laughs> is, is it Roses or Quality Street? I can never remember which one it is. And we sang that for the full 90 minutes of the Oldham fans, and it was freezing. And, and that's kind of one of my – one of my happiest memories is that um, the Monday night against Blackburn, um, when the title was already won, but that was but the party was that night and Blackburn scored first, and it was when Gary Pallister scored the free kick right towards the end, and he was the only outfield player who hadn't scored that season, and that was that was just a an unbelievable unbelievable evening because me and my dad. I'd waited so long for for that to happen, really. And then um, the Liverpool FA Cup final in 1996, because we were right behind the goal that Eric scored in, and right behind that, the, the as as the ball hit the back of the net, and that was a very special day. And then being with my dad in Barcelona was um, was a was, and even now it kind of makes me quite, I get quite emotional about that. Not. Not, not in many ways for winning the for winning the the European Cup that night, but we we got there really early, and I sitting in the new camp, one of the first to be to be sitting down in the new camp. We were in the top tier, above the corner flag, um, that the corners weren't taken from when United scored the two goals. So the opposite side to to where the corners were taken from, and just sitting in the sun with my dad having a beer, 
in the stand because obviously it's a lot more it, it was a lot more civilized then and or people were treated like adults then i don't know which but um and thinking what an amazing season it had been and even if it was to all go horribly wrong here we were a european cup final sitting in the sun in barcelona watching watching united in a european cup final so from from Oldham to the new camp, I would argue they're my most memorable games. That is a brilliant list, isn't it? And it, <laughs> it's uh, you know, it's that if I hadn't seen such riches thing, isn't it? It's been... yeah, but e- yeah, but equally, you know, th- there are other games that stick in my mind for being just truly and utterly horrific and terrible, and and <laughs> you know that 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 first title winning season, um, we were. If memory serves me right, the first home game, whilst and some part of Old Trafford was still being redeveloped, unless unless my memory's gone, which it has, because lots of things blur into one. But United were being three 0 at home by Everton in that in the first home game of that season, if memory serves me right. And Beardsley was one of the scorers for Everton, and just coming out and thinking, my God, this is going to be a this is going to be horrendous. This is just going to be an awful season. And whereas and and it came off the back of the end of the previous season being at university and watching driving back to university where I was in Hull knowing Leeds had beaten Sheffield United thanks to Brian Gale's comedy own goal and then sitting in the common room at university watching Liverpool beat United and thinking I'm never going to see United win a title so you need the I think I'm a big believer in that you need the pain and you need the you need the horrible times in sport so that the special moments are even more special. Yeah, uh, I think it's interesting for a generation of United fans that haven't really experienced that they're they're getting their first taste of it. And yeah, this is what it was like. This is what it was like for years and years and years. Although what I would say is when 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 Van Hal was here, as I was as I kept telling people. Um, it's not the lack of success that is that is a problem. It's being bored to tears. And even when it was crap in the 80s, it was still really, really entertaining. Um, and, you know, Big Ron did send United out to win every game. He just went mad towards the end and signed a whole load of strikers who were all under five foot seven. And we were never and we were never, ever going to do anything. But. You know, yeah, for a lot of United, for for the younger generations, this is what it used to be like. It was just a little bit more entertaining. Um, I, I, to just segue into current day Man United, my working thesis is that it, the results I think are probably going to come under Mourinho, but it doesn't. I'm not even really that bothered because the entertainment factor is like it's just been exponential growth between the end of last season and the beginning of this yeah I'd, yeah I'd, I'd completely agree with that i mean it's trying to tell people uh, you know it, both, both pundits and you know phoning people who phone in and this that and the other that um you know a, a, a nil nil draw at home to burnley or a one all draw at home to stoke is a very different uh, one all draw to what we would have witnessed under under Van Hal, and, and it's important to to point that out. And the other thing that I would say is, even aside from even aside from the football and and criticizing individuals and and, and individuals getting criticised a lot, you know that United do have footballers who put a smile on your face, even if even if they're not playing particularly well. 
Pogba at some point will do something that puts a smile on your face. Zlatan permanently leaves me with a smile on my face because I, ju- I mean I just think he's both hilarious and mad at the same time. <laughs> um, and one of my highlights of this season was a far post header that he did against Bournemouth on the opening day, where he where he didn't score, but he took out both Bournemouth centre halves with one header. And it's like the old days of Mark Hughes and seeing a bit of physicality. You know, it's why it's why if we go off the point with United. I will always defend David Luiz to anybody because I guarantee whatever game, whatever game you watch David Luiz, whether it's playing for Chelsea, whether whether he was at Paris Saint-Germain, whether it's for Brazil, he will do something, good or bad, that will make you smile. And, I don't, and, and that has to be one of the first things that you want as a football fan. Yeah, because it's that's the point of sport, isn't it? It's meant to be entertainment, Paul. It drives me round the absolute bend at the moment that football has disappeared, and excuse my friendship, it's disappeared so far up its own arse that nobody is allowed to have fun with it anymore. And actually what I've learned over the past 18 months of doing loads of NFL is they quite like having fun, and it's quite it's quite refreshing, really. Um, yeah, the the NFL show is great. I like the surprise in your voice there. No, I, it's <laughs> it's not meant as surprise. It's I've been looking for ages. I I really like NFL in a kind of very like I'm the perfect target audience Good. for this show because I know nothing about it really, but I really enjoy the big plays. Yeah, and that's and 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 you can have a bit of fun with it. And the the important thing for me when doing the NFL show is to you know I know. I know a fair bit, but I could look at a, I could look at a play and not really know what so and so is trying to do or why that person did that. And it's about trying to find a balance so that it doesn't patronise fans who do know their stuff, but it does explain stuff to people who don't know a great deal. And first and foremost, if you actually stumble across it and don't know anything. Hopefully you can just have a bit of fun with it for half an hour or forty minutes, and that's that's to try and do those three things. You need kind of a good production team and and some good pundits, and unfortunately it has both. And um, match the day two definitely seems to have a brief to be a bit more fun ever since it started. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean that was always the plan with when it was first devised with um, Adrian and and then Colin, and I think I think that's. I think that's really important. I think it's also, there's also a little bit of which not, people don't get as much is that you have more time. So it's very easy to go, oh, you do this on match of the day too and they don't do it on the Saturday. But, you know, if they've got seven games to fit in and, you know, their show is an hour and a half long or whatever, then some of those chats off the back of a match is 90 seconds, two minutes. Now that is quite, you can't really do anything in that amount of time. I think there's an argument. I read an article a, a fair bit ago that if you actually take the title of the show, Match of the Day, then um, do you really, if you get to the sixth and seventh game and they aren't very good, and that would include if it was a United game and that, do you really need to discuss it? I would argue not. But it goes back to what we were saying earlier about football being so serious that if every team isn't mentioned, there's just a barrage of complaints that you are anti this or anti that or you don't treat this one fairly. But on a Sunday, fortunately, you get five, six-minute chats after after each game. So that, A, gives you a bit more time. And the other thing is I just quite like taking the mick out of the pundits. I mean, I'm very jealous of, of their careers and what they've done, and I would love to have been a professional footballer. But I think it's important on those shows to put to put the point of view from the point of view of a fan really because they don't often get it they don't see it that way often it's interesting that and it's been a really noticeable dynamic of your time 
in the show that the the fans view is is aired it gets its moment in the sun doesn't it well i think i think you have to put the i think you have to um i think you have to air the fans view and i also think you have to recognize that you know football punditry sometimes can be quite ridiculous and i say that as somebody who's part of it and as a presenter you know sometimes football presenting is utterly ridiculous and you say a phrase and you think do you know what 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 does that mean exactly when you say that what does that mean I don't know, off the top of my head, only because I saw somebody mention it on Twitter a couple of days ago, you know, he's a proper football man. I mean, and that means what exactly? What, you're, you aren't a proper football man, even though you're a massive fan? I'm not a proper football man? What, because I didn't kick a ball professionally? There are so many cliches that I think, I think when you first start out and when I first started out doing it, I probably didn't challenge enough and I just wanted to do a, a good show and not bugger the whole thing up and and get another contract. Whereas I think, you know, this is my fourth season of doing it. And I think you grow into going, do you know what? Actually, Alan, that sounds utterly ridiculous. What do you mean? But what I love about it is a lot of the pundits, the, the ones who are, you know, Shearer, Jermaine, Kilban, Murphy, they're prepared to give it back at you. And I quite like that. You know, there's no, there's, there's sort of no barriers. There are no restrictions. You know, they can equally challenge me in the same way that I challenge them. And I think that works. So as a, as a kind of lifelong football fan, what was it like to get the match of the day gig? Because for, for listeners outside of the country, I guess most people that listen to this show would know that match of the day has a kind of iconic status, but there really is nothing like it. I mean, the music is played out of ice cream vans. It's, it's, it's a proper national institution. Um, I'll be, I'll be, um, I'll be, I'll be quite honest with you. It was slightly, um, it was a little bit underwhelming, and the only reason being was because I was expecting a call from from BBC Sport Management, and I knew that a few things were going to change, but I didn't know what. And I was expecting to get, I was expecting to be offered final score because I've been doing a lot of final score. I knew that Gabby wasn't going to do it anymore and I'd been standing in for Gabby a lot. And I adore doing final score because it's, it, you know, in the same way that Stelling does it. It is radio on the telly and it, there's no script and it tests your knowledge and it tests your ability to do four different things at once. And so when the when the call came through from the boss going, right, uh, this is what we'd like to do for next season. When he, uh, when he, when he said, well, you know, we'd like you to do match of the day too, I actually went, oh, not final score. <laughs> final score, which might not have been the response that he was necessarily expecting. So, um, so that was how it was offered. And as I say, I was slightly underwhelmed by it, but, and I've said this in a, in a few interviews, I suppose, the, um, I, I'm quite, um, I'm quite big on uh, on music and themes and or, like musical themes and that kind of stuff. And so, w- when you hear match, of, when you hear the match of the day the first time and you're sitting in the chair, then that is that is nerve wracking the first time. And and I, subsequently, I have learned with new pundits or current players when they come on. You know, when they hear that music, I do just see them sort of grab a grab the chair a little bit tighter <laughs> because it is I mean as you say it's played here there and everywhere and it is one of those themes and you think oh my god this is for real I'm actually doing this now but that's the same with on five live when you go it's five o'clock good afternoon I'm Mark Chapman and this is sports report and sports report starts and and you know and I still get goosebumps with that because 
it's memories of being in my in a car with my dad, getting ready to hear the football results coming back from a game, and thinking, you know, even in this multimedia world, future generations, current generations are doing the same, getting into cars with families and friends and sticking us on and that music. So yeah, it's um, the, the musical themes definitely make me think or give me nerves sometimes, or used to give me nerves or give me goosebumps. That's brilliant. Um, you mentioned your dad uh, and you've written a book about parenthood and football. Yeah. What was, what was the kind of impetus? Uh, well, um, I, I think my, my agents have been banging on at me to write a book about, about fatherhood sport, parenthood sport and all of that for ages. I think they were just sick of me telling the same old stories over and over and over again. Um, and originally, I'd I'd been with a with a mate, and uh, he'd been loading loads of stuff into his car for his kids, and they were off to swimming or cricket and this, that, and the other. And he said, "Oh, sometimes I just think, God, why can't they just play the violin?" And I thought, "Oh, that that's a good title for a book. That why can't they just play? Uh, why can't they just play the violin?" And then and then talk about all the sporting experiences, both with me and my dad, and me and my three kids now. Although the, the youngest one isn't really old enough to do that much sport. And um, so I started, so I just started writing, basically. The publishers were, were, were keen and I, I started writing. But as I started to write, it became a lot warmer than I thought it was going to be. And I just realized as I started to write just how our family life, both looking up towards my dad and looking down towards my kids, how so much of it has revolved around sport over my 43 years on this earth and how actually how enjoyable it is and and therefore what I thought was going to be cynical oh my god here we go again traveling to this that and the other why can't they play the violin actually became god these are really special times with my kids as I hope they were for my dad with me and um but then it's also about discovering yourself as a parent and one and desperately hoping that you aren't that nightmare dad that just pushes his kids constantly to to do well. Yeah, and listen, Alan Shearer would have done this, that, and the other, and I know this because I talked to him about it yesterday. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and you know, actually, I was with Chris Hoy at the Olympics. So Jesse, next time you're on your bike, you need to do this, that, and the other. Um, so uh, you mentioned uh, the Olympics. Um, I, I mean, this is a, a United-specific podcast, but yeah. people will forgive me for asking about what it is like to cover that event that is so kind of ingrained in all of us. It's absolutely, it's it's brilliant because you know that so many people are interested in it and watching it and listening to it. That's the first thing. And secondly, it's a brilliantly challenging thing to do. And I think we all want to be challenged in some way, shape or form with, with what we do with work or personal life or whatever. And therefore, you know, both as an example, one night on television, both the men's eight and the women's eight in the studio, one after another, after what they did, is really is challenging, challenging to make sure you get the right person and ask the right question to the right person and have enough grasp of their sport and have done enough research to bring that back to to people at home. So it's just it, it's just a joy to do professionally because you just meet really interesting people who you want to know more about you know you want to know how somebody who does canoe slalom builds up the power in his arms to be able to travel at such speed or you want to know from one one of the swimmers what the sacrifices were for her family or his family 
over the previous 10 years that's got them to this stage where they could win a medal in the pool in Rio. There's never, there's never, ever, ever a shortage of stories and, and the journalistic side to get stuck into, which, which from a professional point of view is great. And then um, two more questions. One of them is uh, because quite a lot of... One, young... one other, sorry, Paul. One other thing I just would say on that is... Um, what I, the, the, um, having said all of that, I am not one of these people who goes, oh, our footballers could learn a lot from <laughs> Olympians, because that isn't true. And, you know, you, you can find out a lot of interesting stuff from footballers as well and do some really good stuff with footballers. I think what's interesting, actually, it's not the footballers themselves at the moment in, in the industry that we work in. It's the barrier that is constantly put between media and footballers, which actually, given what's happened to Rooney over the past couple of weeks, I can understand even more, really. Absolutely. But it's it's something that nobody, it, it's really negatively affected the media, but it really is the media industry's fault, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's, there's such a massive distrust between media and football clubs that nobody comes out of it uh, well at all, to be honest. And not just the Rooney incident, but but... You know, within football in general. And I think, you know, a lot of people on both sides of the fence need to sort of just take a look at themselves and sort of grow up a bit. I'm not talking about the footballs. I'm just talking about press and PR and media officers and then media who, you know, and not all media, but some media who go out to try and trip people up. You know, it would be nice if we could all just calm down and be a bit more adult about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at the Allardyce thing and... Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and I know, I know why they did it, but you know, the, the problem is again in that situation, you know, that's news having one agenda and sport having another. And throughout the whole time of working in this industry, you know, news journalists want to do one thing, and that ends up shafting sports journalists who want to do something else. And it's often the sports journalists who then pick up the pieces. You know, it's the telegraphs. And listen, I'm not suggesting we should have any sympathy for for journalists at all, but it's the Telegraph's football correspondent and football writer and, you know, people I know well in Sam Wallace and Jason Burt who are the ones that have to pick up the pieces because they're the ones who deal with football <laughs> football people. Go back to what we said earlier. But they deal with football people on a daily basis, whereas the news team can come in, do the investigation, bugger off and, <laughs> and leave this sort of trail in their way. Yeah, uh, we often say, we've often said that the... Um something's got lost because i mean fergie was a uh you know he was horrendous with the press by the end because he'd completely lost all patience with them but it was the fans that suffered because of that absolutely absolutely and uh, i don't i don't i mean i suppose that all the financial stuff and commercial stuff and everything that goes with it and all of these demands and stuff means that then you need more people to look after players to look after managers and the more people you have the bigger the barrier is um, you know, I have, I have no. Some people often ask, you know, oh, are you friends with are you friends with footballers? Or whatever? I sort of say, well, why would I? Why would I want to be a friend? Why would I want to be friends with a footballer? I'm, you know, I'm probably ten years older than or than the oldest of the footballers at the moment. You know, we're different generations. I don't want to be, don't want to be friends with them. I just want some kind of, I suppose, a mutual. A, 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 a recognition that the relationship between us can be mutually beneficial. That's that's what that's what you're looking for. But you know, from within the from within the footballing side of it, I can understand, as I said, their complete 
distrust of, of doing anything with with us. Um, okay, so what advice, this is a question I'm sure you've been asked a million times, but what advice would you give to someone looking to get into sports broadcasting? Uh, never pigeonhole yourself. So um, don't pigeon. It's interesting because people say to me, oh, do you like, do you really like such and such a sport, NFL? Or do you really like such and such a sport, rugby league? I go, yeah, I love them. I love them. But, you know, I can tell you, F1, I can't stand. You'll never find me presenting F1. But let's say at the Olympics there was dressage, uh, which I did several times. Now, I, I don't know anything about dressage. I'm not a big dressage fan. I haven't, haven't, I've never seen it in the flesh before until this summer at the Olympics. That doesn't mean I can't present it because I can work, I can research it find out who's in it. And my job, I always say, is to get the best out of the pundits and to get the best out of any sports people that I have on the show. That's that's kind of my job. Um, so I would always say to people, don't feel that you need to specialise in a sport. Sky have definitely gone down the route. You know, if you do football for Sky, you do football for Sky. If you do cricket for Sky, you do cricket for Sky. You don't then cross over and do rugby league or a bit of rugby union or a bit of F1. But keep your horizons, uh, keep your options as broad as possible in um, in sports you want to cover, get as much experience in as many sports. And when I say don't specialise, I also mean in the sense of don't at an early age think, I, I have to be a commentator, I have to be a commentator, I have to be a commentator. Because when you then start getting, hopefully, work experience and stuff, you might suddenly think, oh, do you know what? I'm actually quite fancy the production side of it. Or I actually quite fancy being a reporter out on the road doing this, that, and the other. It's such a broad industry, as media in general, not just sports broadcasting, but it's such a broad industry that when I was 15, 16, the best advice I ever got when I was doing work experience at Radio Manchester was from two women there who said, "Go if you go to university, go and do whatever you want to study. Just enjoy it. Don't worry about media studies. Don't worry about journalism. Go and do that. You can worry about journalism afterwards. And I went and did French and business at university, did a postgrad in broadcast journalism after that. And I just think, you know, when you're looking at the industry, if Sky, for example, needed a producer on their Spanish football coverage and they had two candidates and one of them had gone to university and done a degree in Spanish and one of them had gone to university and done a degree in media – I think they'd look more at the one in, with the degree in Spanish than they might in the one in media because there's lots in media that you can learn on the job. So never, ever narrow your pathway down into getting into the industry would be my main piece of advice. Brilliant. That's extremely helpful. Um, and then the the last question is about United. Let's bring it back to United. Um, what what do you what's your kind of expectations over the next couple of seasons? How do you think it's going to go from here? What do you think we need? What do you think? Well, I think we need I think we need patience. I think that's the first thing. I think we need um, we need somebody higher up than the manager to demonstrate that they have a love of football and not a love of noodle companies in Malaysia. <laughs> office furniture companies in Nigeria and I think that's really really important and you know we 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 can be sarcastic and we do laugh at it and oh my god you know we signed a mattress deal with someone in China but the concern here is that for every one of those deals some of those players have to do commercial activities 
and they are doing more and more and more commercial activities. Now that, and I'm not saying that's going to knacker them out, and but there comes a point where it gets a little bit ridiculous, and they must be distracted, you know, and it over over complicates everything. I would just like a bit of football love to be demonstrated from the club rather than a constant constant fight for commercial revenues to be honest with you that 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 would be my first thing and i think um i think i i would like over the next two years to see more of the younger players integrated into the team and i don't i don't um doubt that he will do that i'm fairly sure that Tenzebi and Fossi Mensah and maybe a couple of the others we might see over the course of the coming two years because that would be it'd be awful if we lost that I'm not, I'm not saying anything that any normal United fan doesn't say because you know I, I watched Fossi Mensah I was at the game uh, United Watford last season and he was like a bull in a china shop but he was massively entertaining yeah. Troy Deeney said to me afterwards the following week Troy Deeney came on match of the day too and off air saying, so what was he like? He said, well, we saw he was playing. So I thought, first two or three minutes, I'll I'll just leave one on him and see what he's like. <laughs> he, said, he said, but I couldn't, he'd already left one on me by two minutes in. <laughs> so that that that, that plan a little bit. Um, I'd like to see them. And I just think, um, I just think we need to be patient and realistic. And this is, at the moment, this is such a mess of a squad in the, it's got Van Gaal players in. It's got Moyes players in. It's got Ferguson players in. And let's not forget, Paul, Ferguson, Ferguson's transfer dealings towards the end of his reign were horrendous. I mean, the side, that side that won the title for him at the end was basically down to Van Persie. And you or me or any United fan listening to this could have signed Van Persie, could have rec- couldn't have signed him, but recognised that he would be a good signing. Yeah. So that is such a mishmash of a squad. And I just think he is, he, it's going to take him a lot longer than probably he thought to turn it round. But the, 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 the players in the main, I think are there. They just need a few additions. And the other thing I'd like to see over the next two years is Mkhitaryan play. <laughs> <laughs> just any time in the next two years, really. <laughs> Every the, our our presenting spot at five, for Five Live at Old Trafford, it, I, I am sat as close to the director's box as possible. My chair is the last one in the in the uh, press box next to the director's uh, next to the director's box. And uh, Henrik Mkhitaryan uh, has spent more time sitting next to me at United games than actually on the pitch in front of me so far. Yeah, it's not ideal, is it? It's not. I just hope. I hope he isn't the new Kagawa because Kagawa should have got more chances as well, really. As he showed last night, what did he score last night? Two, I think. I mean, you know, we just need to, yeah, there are just a few players that you, you think, come on, give them a bit of time and they'll come good. And I hope he's one of them. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for your time. That's my pleasure. Anytime. No worries. And Mark Chapman's book that we talked about uh, during that is called The Love of the Game, Parenthood, Sport and Me. Um, so uh, delighted that, that Chavez came on and just getting to talk about what it's like to host Match of the Day. I mean, just imagine how cool that would be, Ed, getting a Match of the Day gig. Well, you know, if we work hard enough at this podcast, it could happen. No, it, it won't happen. Bonafide red as well, Chappers. 
Oh yeah, his his red credentials thoroughly well established. The fact that his first game was the game that Brian Robson was signed on the pitch at that is a pretty pretty historic and cool first game to be at. Um, Very cool. Uh, so I guess if we're ever going to get to hosting match today, we should talk about United's chances in the League Cup, shouldn't we? I um, have no idea uh, what's going to happen in this one. Um, it, I've no idea how seriously he's going to take it. Some silverware would obviously be uh, pretty nice, but he can't consider this competition any kind of priority. And obviously they had to play a relatively strong team against City because the kind of dynamics of where we were at in the season meant that a win over City at that point would be really potentially significant. Um, I don't know if that's the same here. I mean, I, I imagine West Ham will play a slightly understrength team and will win comfortably. That's what I imagine will probably happen, but it's a bit of a guesstimate really, obviously. It's almost like you're hoping West Ham will play a... No, I'll, I'll stop this line of... Uh, you, you, you have many... You have, <laughs> Please you have, do. You have many defenders on Twitter who will be complaining that I'm bullying you or something. <laughs> no, I just think you're reducing my argument to a very basic concept where actually I'm talking about something slightly more uh, complex, which is that I... I think it is not unreasonable to suggest that what has gone before is not about some fundamental problem. And anyway, that, that's, you know, we've, we've clearly reached an impasse and that's fine. Yes, hopefully we'll be able to move on from this argument. I, I, th- I think so. I think, I think the chances are good. All right. OK, back to the game. Um, I mean, I, I think it's hard for United to play a full strength side given the situation in the Premier League. So there's there's clearly going to be some changes. I mean, Josie talked about it in the the last one as well. You know, he had to make changes. So there will be some there will be some changes. Uh, I guess uh well I was gonna say Fellaini might come into the game, but can he? I think he got a booking, didn't he? He did. He did. Uh, so he I can't think Pog- and Pogba's out as well. Pogba's out as well and Mourinho won't dies. be there. <laughs> it's like Refaria running the Ander Herrera Michael Carrick midfield, basically. Very good. Well, it'll work, oh, won't it? Just a little side note, right? I was in the press conference after the last West Ham game, which Rui Faria was given, and he said at some point, you know, in an answer, you know, it's not an easy job. And the next question was from a journalist, and I've rarely been this annoyed with anything other than you just reducing my argument. Um, but he said... Um, uh, why isn't it an easy job? One of the biggest clubs in the world, unlimited budget. I was like, are you seriously telling me you think being the manager of Man United is an easy job? It's like, this is a guy I've seen around as well. This wasn't some tourist journalist there on a jolly. I've no idea who it was, but I just... Oh, but look, Paul, it's, uh, it's classic, though. This is not about getting an answer. Press conferences aren't about getting an answer, they're about getting copy. Yeah. So, he, you know, you get a good reaction to that one. And, uh, uh, you know, he's just asked it to the wrong guy. Ask that to Mourinho. <laughs> You'd get some very good copy. Um, Rui Faria said, uh, ask the people that were here before. I <laughs> thought that was a pretty good answer. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. That was uh, ridiculous. After West Ham in the League Cup, which it's hard to care much about either way, isn't it? Uh, is a is a game which is like of massive mega significance because every league game between now and the end of the season is pretty much of massive mega significance, isn't it? I mean, it's massive mega significance. I mean, United have to win this one, and I mean, it's not like Everton started the season really well, and they've definitely gone off the boil. Um, but it's a Goodison 
it's traditionally a place United have, have you know, had, well, they've had some struggles over the years. It's a tough one for Rooney, who I guess won't start anyway. There's a number of reasons to think this is no gimme. No, uh, last season uh, was one of our best performances of the season on what was a very weird day. It was the day that Howard Kendall died and there was just a real flat atmosphere at Goodison Park and United won 3-0 and Herrera was brilliant. Um, but yeah, you're right, that Everton's results, I, in my head, they're still doing quite well, but they've got one win in their last one, two, three, four, five... Six, seven, eight, nine games. That's not good at all, is it? No, and absolutely smashed at Chelsea the other week as well. No, but that's fine. That's the hallmark of champions, getting absolutely smashed at Chelsea. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Is that right? No, very much not. Liverpool didn't get smashed at Chelsea, did they? (laughs) You just said Liverpool are going to be champions. (laughs) Yes, except mine was joking and you were dead serious about hoping it might get better. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. That was one for Chris. He's uh, he may be our only Liverpool supporting listener. I don't I don't know how he does it every week. I just don't know how he does it every week. But we're glad you do, Chris. Um, yeah, uh, Ronald Koeman was attracting mega plaudits for his start um, to the season. Uh, but yeah, they've they've really struggled, and this is a this is a this is a big one for them, isn't it? Uh, as well, the fact that they the fact that they didn't beat Swansea at home on the nineteenth of November. Uh, means that if we don't beat them at home, we've just got to all pack up and go home. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. Um, I mean, they've got some challenges. New coach, some obvious weaknesses in the uh, in the squad. Uh, Ross Barkley's having a real bad one at the moment. Lukaku probably wants to leave. Well, he definitely wants to leave because the manager said he's probably going to have to leave. <laughs> um, you know, they've, they've clearly got some challenges. They, they may be... I mean, they're definitely underperforming over the last sort of eight or nine games, or well, you know, maybe a few less than that. Um, given the amount of talent they've got, they are eighth in the league, though, and that sounds about right, doesn't it, for what they have? Yeah, I guess so. Um, I, I wondered whether they might do a little bit better this season, but you know, uh, th- that was clearly more in hope than expectation. Not that I particularly hope Everton do well. I. Uh, I wonder what kind of United side we'll get. Those suspensions will have passed, won't they? Um, I mean, I guess Mourinho might still be suspended by then. There would seem a decent chance of that. But um, I wonder what he's going to do about Mkhitaryan. I think that's almost like one of the more interesting topics at the moment because you could see him starting him on Wednesday. If he starts him on Wednesday, I guess we're saying that means he's definitely not going to start on Sunday. Um, I'd almost rather see him saved for the league but it just it's a very difficult situation to get out of the one that's been created I think it is I mean he needs games he needs to play but then again so does Martial so does Memphis so there's a bunch of players that that aren't really in Mourinho's favour at the moment maybe they all have attitude problems (laughs) it is always the I mean I was joking with you on WhatsApp but it is almost always the briefing that goes out uh, when Mourinho falls out with a an attacking player. Yeah, a young attacking player also. I mean, to be fair, he's also been dropped for the France squad with with rumours, you know. So it's not just Mourinho, is it? But uh, Yeah, remember the time when uh, Mourinho dumped Kevin De Bruyne? Said he had attitude problems. <laughs> Maybe he did. Maybe he did. Maybe that was the shock to his system that he needed. 
Yeah, sometimes you need to look in the mirror, don't you? Uh, yeah. Um, Mourinho, I don't think, likes looking in the mirror to see where the problem lies. I'm not sure that's... Oh, no, that's, definitely not. That's not in the man's makeup. That's one thing he has in common with Fergie. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's definitely everybody else's fault. <laughs> I, I wonder, the thing is, though, the thing about Fergie is I think, ultimately, that was not what he truly believed. You know? <laughs> Um, I think ultimately, I don't think you can be that successful if you have that uh, for that long at the same club. If you have that as an underlying belief system, we, we talked about that little documentary, four four two documentary. One anecdote I did like because it was a very little quick snippet. Wes Brown talking about having a shocker at Leeds, and at halftime he gets the hairdryer from Fergie, and and uh, one of the youth team players goes, "Bloody hell!" and uh, uh, talks to Wes Brown afterwards and said, oh, yeah, he he, uh, he turned around to us after that and said, yeah, it'll be all right uh, next half. <laughs> it's like as if he'd just affected the whole thing. <laughs> it's brilliant. And I think he probably almost certainly had. Although I, you do wonder whether, I think he probably just also had that kind of temper, didn't he, that came and came and blew and went away again once it had been, you know, once it had been expressed. And then, so I guess that's another thing Mourinho's got, you know? You feel like he's not the same kind of temper, but, uh, you know, something that can be directed in the you know the right way. You hope. Not, not, not quite sure kicking bottles is what will do it. Maybe you ought to try kicking some boots at underperforming players. Yeah. Who's the most famous and handsome player in the squad? I don't know. It's a difficult one. The most famous is probably Ibrahimovic, isn't it? I don't want to kick a boot at his head. That is just not going to end well. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't work kicking a boot at Daily Blind because he wears, you know, some kind of Alice band that would protect him. Uh, so, right, that's the Everton game. Um, and uh, should we just take a couple of rank cast questions before we before we wrap this up with some Just a couple. We are, we are running well over time, per usual. Um, do you think that Rashford on, or, and Martial on the wings is for their development, like Wenger with Thierry Henry, etc., or that Mourinho actually thinks it's their best position, asks, at Echoing Quack? No, no, I think it's neither of those answers. I think he, he, he believes in Zlatan, and there are many reasons to believe in Zlatan, and there are only... You know, there aren't any other spaces in the scene. He wants to set it up with one striker. Uh, so if Martial or Rashford are going to be in the team, they're going to be playing in wide areas. That's it. Uh, at Peng M83 says, my baby is due next January. What's the chance I could lift him or her while MUFC lifts the Premier League trophy in May? Uh, extremely slim. Remember how Ed was talking about how we're 11 points behind? Not even my hope uh, is strong enough to overcome that. And I've got a lot of it. no. No, it's it's not. But maybe if you call him Eric, maybe you just never know. Um, at Boss Des, the first part of this question you'll like. The second one, I'm not sure we can agree with. Uh, does Latan's lack of cl- clinical finishing defeat his existence in the team? I think that was sort of what you were arguing, wasn't it? Not quite. I'm just saying it's a limitation. Yeah, it is a big limitation. And then he says we play at a pace where the few chances must be taken. But I think the whole point is we're actually creating tons and tons of chances. Uh, we we should be taking them. Should be, but I think I, I'm not sure we're creating the chances based on pace. I mean, it's not about getting nippy guys down the wing and beating the defender and getting balls in or playing balls over the top and stuff like. You know, our, our chance creation is because there are quite a lot of creative players around the team and matter. There's a sort of hybrid, isn't there? Because like Valencia, we're definitely like against Feyenoord and even against uh, was it Arsenal? Um, Valencia has definitely been kind of getting in behind players on the wing and putting in crosses. He's kind of doing doing the entire job of that. 
Um, right, and he has to because if he's playing, you know, sort of behind Matter, yeah. that is obviously going to cut in. And then Lingard and Rashford, both in the team against West Ham, and there was a lot of pace when the two of them were linking up. And I think if Rashford had been in better touch, that game could have been quite dramatically different. I thought Lingard had a pretty good game, actually, as it goes. Well, he scored an absolute worldie. Against Feyenoord. Um, against Feyenoord, yeah, 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 which Mourinho complained about. Rightly so. Every single player in the United team touched that ball. Uh, yeah, that which was the same with Zlatan's goal against um, uh, what's it against West Ham, according to uh, friend of Man United Duncan Castles. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I just I, I'm always fascinated by this. Is is it that he's in love with Jose, which would be you know a beautiful thing? Yeah, yeah, un, the unrequited love, <laughs> or is he actually on the payroll? I mean, I. Th- it's just weird, isn't it? It is just weird. Although, I have to say, the longer um, Mourinho stays at United, the more I'm, like, just feeling what Duncan's... I'm, I'm picking up what Duncan's putting down, do you know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, you're right, Mourinho is hard done by and not respected compared to other managers. <laughs> I don't think I could rationally actually believe that, but, you know... Duncan, Duncan's got me convinced. I, I did like Mourinho's sort of dig in the press conference. I don't know whether it was a dig at Wenger. I guess it was. But, it's uh, always a dig at Wenger. Isn't it? <laughs> it was a, the last time I won the league 18 years ago. Oh, no, sorry, 18 months ago. And he did it twice, kind, kind of labouring the point a little bit. Yeah, that really, really, that really lessened its comedic impact for me. That, that felt very like, oh, come on, it's, all, it's an all right line, but that is super hacky to put it in again. Come on, Jose, you're better than that. He's not, he's, is he? He's not, is he? He's very clear. Very clear. All right, uh, more questions? Uh, no, I think that's it. My question for you is what's next, Ed, and that is what are the results going to be in the League Cup and uh, and against Everton away? And the fact that we've argued about like hope over expectation, I feel like the, the, the positions are about to super reverse now where we predict the results of the game and you do it based on you hoping United will win twice. Well, yeah, uh, I think United will beat West Ham in the League Cup. Uh, and I think that's mostly based on West Ham making a lot of changes. They're in absolutely dire straits in the league. Uh, so they have to prioritise that. And then Everton, it's a tough one, but Everton are playing so badly. And they're a bit of a mess at the back. I kind of feel that United will score in this one. So I'm going to go for a 2 0 win against West Ham and a 2 1 win at Everton. Okay. Uh,. I got nothing to do with hope. It's cold, hard analysis. You said we'd beat West Ham United 4 <laughs> 0 last week. Um, uh, right, so I think that we are going to. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with your rationale in the League Cup. I might even go 3 0, actually, because we do, we do seem to be able to turn it on sometimes. Uh, and then the Everton game. I don't know, it feels weird to be predicting United wins on the back of what's been going on, but I just don't see... I don't see how it's... As a prediction, it's the only thing that makes sense, isn't it? Yeah, I'm going with the United win. I'm going to go 1-0. Uh, and, yeah, so 3-0 in the League Cup and 1-0 in the League. Who knows? I hope I hope that's what happens. I hope so too. All right, uh, and we'll be patrons. Stay tuned, uh, and everyone else will be back next week. See you then. 